like that one time you took me to Dr. Die, and I, she was like, oh, also, you ate your twin in utero. And we're like, well, that's a, that's just, there's too much to unpack, so let's just throw out that whole suitcase. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Hi. Hi. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I, you were going to say something. I, just, I expected I you to think, say something. I know. I think we need to make a rule that you go right into talking. Okay. I just have to. Because that's going to be the new rule. <laughs> because I I just always feel very uncomfortable right after okay. that. Like there's supposed to be something. Like, well, now what? Well, the scripted part is over. Now I know. what? Hello. It's episode 71. Welcome back. We've uh, had a bi-weekly break. How's everyone feeling about the bi-weekly break? Is that okay? And then after this, we're not going to mention it anymore. We're just going to do it this we're way. We're going to do it. Okay. Because I think it's better for us right now. So I think it is for us as yeah, well. It's yeah. um, much less stress. And I think we're going to be putting out better content when we have more time to prepare. <laughs> Mom just rolled her eyes, and I'm ignoring it. <laughs> this is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Our topic today has a lot. There's a lot. And There's a lot. We probably won't be able to get We're not going to deep dive it. in We're not going to deep We're going to just kind of skim over it. But we've skim said that about other things, and then we don't go back. So what we, we probably should do so <laughs> is go back and, like, do like remakes a of- A cover-all episode. Yeah, or something. Um, before we get super into the episode, I do want to give a quick shout out. I'm not going to read the email. We got a lovely email from a listener, Liz, in Baton Rouge. Kind of almost made me cry. Almost made mom cry a little, a little bit. Cry. I just read it to her before we started recording. And it's it's just really lovely. And it was really, really sweet talking about how she appreciates the show and how she and her daughter both listen. And it was very, very sweet. So Liz and Izzy, shout out to both of you. If we're ever in Baton Rouge, we're going to find you. We're going to find you we are we'll find you <laughs> <laughs> so so thank you for that it always warms our hearts so much when we get like a really nice review or when we get an email like that it just kind of makes it all worth it to do all the work that we put into the podcast that's right baton rouge is one of the places that my parents went for their honeymoon one of the places baton rouge <laughs> well they did like a road trip kind of like you oh, and your husband neat. did Keeping the family tradition alive. I know. I know. It must be in your blood. Yes. Thank you (laughs) for that beautiful email. And we'll be sending some stickers, yeah? Yes. All right. That's how we'll find you because you gave us. (laughs) You fools. You give us your addresses. You fools. (laughs) Walked right into our trap. That's how we make our future friends. We'll send you a sticker. Give us your address. Yeah. (laughs) And we just show up like, here's your sticker. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Kind of stocky and creepy, but okay. <laughs> so, Mom, what are we talking about that has so much today? Today we are going to talk about C B T Y M C A. 
<laughs> give me a C, give me a B, give me a D. Mom's and it stands out. for cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> it's a big like deal. a blue clues. <laughs> Sorry, blues for blue for blues clues is here. Hi, blue. <laughs> She's gonna talk to us about CBT. Was Blue a girl? Yeah. Why did I not get that? I don't know. I always thought, because she's blue and we're all very heteronormative, maybe. How do you know she's a girl? I Deep Blue's Clues lore. I'm, oh, okay. I'm in, you like really know her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think okay. I think Steve calls her girl every once in a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Come I here, miss girl. that us. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, yes, CBT yeah. was talked about. A lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the things that's more commonly known, like, from the psychology terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, it's kind of part of the cultural lexicon. I have people, like, I've had several clients come in saying, I've heard about CBT, do you do that? Yeah, I was going to say that, too, that I've had clients say something to me, or when I say something, they're like, that's like CBT. Right. So... And, and that makes sense because CBT is very widely used. It's used for a lot of things, which we'll mention later. And it's very, I think it's easy for people to wrap their heads around because it's very technique based. Yeah. It's very like if you're looking into therapy kind of without doing therapy, if you're looking into therapy styles, CBT is something that is easy to be like, oh, here's things I can use. Right. Useful. Useful things. Yeah. And I think if you are like, Therapy shopping. <laughs> therapy shopping. You can yeah. you can find a therapist who just specifically focuses like they call themselves yeah, a cognitive behavioral therapist. Right. But quite frankly, it would be difficult to find a therapist who doesn't at least use some of the techniques. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say too, is that when people ask me, like, do you do CBT? I have to be like, I mean, no, but kinda. Because yeah. uh, we've talked about this so many times. We're humanist existential. But uh, that doesn't mean that we don't use CBT techniques. I mean, CBT is so technique-based, it would be hard not to use them every once in a while. Right, right. And even though we focus on talk therapy, we very much also work on giving people coping skills and, and actual things that they can do when they leave our office. Because a lot of what happens in therapy, a lot of growth that comes from going to counseling happens between your counseling sessions. Yeah, it's not it's just, not just going to be in that one hour yeah. a week or whatever. Right. So during the week, you you process it and you use the tools and all that. So and also CBT is also talk therapy. I was just going to say that too, that if you go into a cognitive behavioral therapist and they just start to like say, so tell me what's going on in your life and how are you, know, what brought you here? And you you're like, think, you're not a CBT yeah, Don't talk to me. Just give me my minute. stuff. Give me my tools. <laughs> Yeah. You big faker. (laughs) So let's talk about what cognitive behavioral therapy is. It is therapy that's centered around the idea that our thoughts or our cognitions affect what we do. Behavior. That's, I mean. Cognitive is thoughts. Yes. And behavioral is behaviors. (laughs) (laughs) And And the therapy part usually involves. And therapy is therapy. (laughs) And the therapy part usually involves breaking down these negative cognitions and reframing them as more positive thoughts, which will then lead to more positive feelings and positive behaviors. Because feelings are a part of this. Like, I I think when I first started learning about, when we first started learning about CBT, I I was like, ooh, I don't want that because there's no feelings involved. But there's going to be feelings involved. It's not like CBT is totally devoid of feelings talk. Stop picking at your tattoo. I didn't. (laughs) 
It's just itching. I know. My tattoo is a week old. Yeah, a little over a week. Yeah, happy. It's really cool. It's, it's really cool. It looks so good. <laughs> it looks so good. But it's healing and it's Sorry, very itchy. Sorry, I got off track there for a minute. I know you just. I, every once in a while, I see you like looking down at your Cognit- wrist, like uh, <laughs> my cognitions <laughs> right now are about itching my tattoo. <laughs> Okay, what else? I'm sorry, I distracted you. <laughs> well, let's start talking about some of the like important terms and concepts within CBT. Okay, so can I say that fundamental to this model is the way, okay, I'm going to use these, I'm going to read it the way it's written because it looks really fancy this way. Fundamental to the cognitive model is the way in which cognition is conceptualized. I'm going to tear my skin <laughs> off. <laughs> That's actually a quote from Beck. In 1976. But anyway, I love him. there on. are three levels, basically, in CBT, three levels of cognition. The first level is the deepest, and that's your core beliefs. We've used the word schemas before in previous episodes, I think I we talked about Beck didn't do schemas. No, but that's, that's just another. Sometimes you hear the word schemas when you think of core beliefs. So those really deeply held beliefs that you have about yourself and about others and about the world. What you really, really believe down deep in. We talk about schemas in episode 42 because Piaget talked a lot oh, about schemas. There you go. So your core beliefs are generally learned very early in your life. Obviously, they're they're influenced by your childhood experiences. Yeah. And for, for most people, for much of their life, they're seen as absolutes. Like, this is just the way it is. You don't argue with those core right. beliefs. And right? I think for a lot of people, that's like things like religion and politics and how you see the world and all that stuff, because that's just how you grow up right. forms that, and we don't think about it. And those core beliefs can be positive. They can be negative. They can kind of have, you know, kind of gray be in the areas, middle, some yeah. gray area. That's a good way to say it. But like, if you could have a very negative core belief like I'm worthless or mm-hmm. I can't do anything right. Yeah. That can be a core belief that's part of – Or like people of, don't love me or right. like – Or if you turn that out into like the world, it could be a, a cognition like, you know, the world is is always unfair or the world is very dark. Everyone or, is bad. Yes. And so that that's that's the first level. Another level of our cognition is what we might call dysfunctional assumptions. That's a fun – dysfunctional assumptions that sounds like a band an indie band (laughs) you're sitting a track from dysfunctional assumptions so i'm it should be at least in the very least it should be a song it should be a song yeah dysfunctional assumptions (laughs) or it sounds like um conjunction junction that's what it is i was trying to think of how why that was clicking in my brain so help me dysfunction assumptions once your function so dysfunctional assumptions are the same as negative um, cognitions. Are they? Aren't they? I don't know. I think so. Mom's flipping through papers, so I'm going to flip through papers. Well, <laughs> what's the name of what? What is what? 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 I'm going to start cussing. <laughs> I have not had a great day my- today. I had a terrible explosion in my garage today. That in today's world. That sounds, you know, like people might think of real explosions because there are bad things going on in the world. In my garage, it was an explosion of 12 Diet Pepsi cans. <laughs> I, ah! Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cognitive distortion. Yeah. So that's the same thing as dysfunctional assumptions? 
Yeah. Okay. I think it has to be. Anyway, those are some words. Yeah. Welcome to Anna and Bonnie Say Words. Okay. It's our new podcast. There's one more word. Okay. The third level is negative automatic thoughts. Okay. That's, yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. And I thought it was funny, Anna, because when I was reading through this and they kept calling them gnats, but I know that where you have done some work, you have worksheets that you call them ants. Right. It's the same thing. So I used to, when I first started as a therapist i worked with a therapist who does call himself a cbt therapist like Mm -hmm. he's very specifically cbt and he had i remember before i was a therapist i worked with him as like the front desk person and i remember making a billion copies of this (laughs) ants worksheet and it was real cute it had like little cartoony ants on it and but it's automatic negative thoughts so i always call them ants always like i like i say it a lot so tell me what that is automatic negative thoughts are kind of i would say the thoughts that come from those core beliefs but they're the thoughts that pop up without us meaning to have them so if our core belief is i'm not worthy of love then the automatic negative thought is is going to be something like that person doesn't love me or that person hates me or that person's making fun of me or whatever right Okay. It's the thoughts that pop into our head in response to situations, and we think of them as gospel truth. Okay, so let me go back to the dysfunctional assumptions, because I think I was misleading. Here. Okay. So the dysfunctional assumptions are you more were like- lying? The rules. <laughs> I might throw down. Can I, can I make mom curse in this episode? <laughs> Maybe. These are like really rigid, conditional rules for living that, that we have that- it kind of goes back to the idea like everyone in this race oh sure is bossy everyone in this race is lazy everyone you know those kind of dysfunctional well, obviously there are assumptions about the world about yes. ourselves about others right so that, they come from our core beliefs yes okay yes they come out of our core beliefs okay um, so it's kind of it's kind of i would say going from internal to external cuz core beliefs are very internal and then dysfunctional assumptions are external right so cognitive distortions are gnats, ants. Yeah. So let's go through. No, they're not. They're not? I don't think so. I think Because an automatic, I think they were more dysfunctional assumptions than they are. I think these are all loosely connected concepts. Right. Well, that, okay, I'm going to throw something else out. And that is that CBT, the theory itself, is used or parts of it, are used in so many different theories. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, we, we have talked very briefly about REBT and, you know. Rational emotive behavioral and, therapy. And then there's DBT. Dialectic behavioral therapy. <laughs> I want to see if she, she can name all of them. <laughs> I know, me. I'm like going and into like a trance state. Multimodal, whatever. I have no idea what that, that, that That's not an acronym. <laughs> no. That's, I don't know word. the acronym to that one. <laughs> multimodal. MMT, sure. <laughs> But the, the, my point is CBT at its heart is part of so many other theories. I mean, uh, theories. CBT, when you really break it down, is pretty broad. It's like the way we broad think is the way. A- yeah. affects how what we do. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's life, right? Our thoughts affect the way yeah. we feel and the way we act, basically. Duh. That's the heart of it. Yeah. And so what we want to do, and Anna said this before, what we want to do is we want to take our negative thoughts and reform them. Yeah, we don't, and that doesn't necessarily mean like taking a negative thought. I've had to work, I'm thinking especially of a kid that I've been working with for actually several years now at this point, where I've had to say this to her a lot that we've we've done some CBT work and, and I've had to say to her like, okay, this doesn't mean 
like just forcing yourself to think positive thoughts that you don't believe. This is looking at these negative thoughts and recognizing why they are maladaptive is the word I'll use. Mm -hmm. And maladaptive just means like they don't work. (laughs) They are not, they, they don't work to solve the problem. And what I have to say to people a lot, especially people who have gone through trauma, is at one point these thoughts were adaptive. Mm-hmm. We adapted to have these thoughts and these cognitions and these behaviors because at one point they worked. I don't, this is probably going like too far off course, but like there's a lot of discussion about when like foster kids come into a home, they store food. Yeah. Like yeah. they hoard food. Uh-huh. And it's because at one point that was adaptive. Right. That was an adaptive behavior. I mean, if we're going to CBT, the core belief is the people around me are not going to take care of me. And then the behavior is, yeah, I'm going to have to hoard food to take care of myself. Right. And so at one point, that was adaptive. Mm -hmm. At one point, that served them a purpose. But then when they're not in that bad environment anymore, that behavior becomes maladaptive. That's a really good example. That's a very good example. Good job, Anna. Oh, God, we got there. Okay. Woo. And that's kind of like. Sometimes, hey, you know that part in the office where we're. (laughs) Where Michael Scott's like, sometimes I just start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. Sometimes that's that's this podcast. podcast. (laughs) That's it. That's us. (laughs) Woo! Flying by the seat of our pants. Mm, We got there. (laughs) It's kind of like that idea that we've talked about defense mechanisms before. The defense mechanisms can be maladaptive. Yes. But they were created to protect us. Right. So, you know, in the the beginning, they were there to protect us from something. So... That happens a lot in mental health. It does. Because our brains really are trying to help us. Right, right. So you could personally, as we're talking about this, you could be thinking about what are some of my um, negative cognitions, the, the those negative thoughts that are maybe part of my core belief or part of my automatic, my, my ants or my gnats, mm-hmm. whichever way you want to pr- refer to that. But you can take, instead of looking at an individual thought, we can kind of take those cognitive distortions and look at them in categories like yeah and is is this something that I kind of tend to do and so we're going to name some of those and this is these are helpful because I think people a lot of people find it helpful to label things and to Mm -hmm. be able to put things in categories because then it's easier to identify them because especially when we're talking about automatic negative thoughts they're called automatic for a reason Mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes a lot to break through that like If it's in my brain, it has to be true. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm thinking it, it has to be true. Right. That's a faulty assumption that I think a lot of us have. It's like, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think Abraham Lincoln said that. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, and I'll go back to this this example of the girl that I've worked with for several years. She has, I mean, she has depression really bad. And what her depression brain tells her is, I'm doing this for attention. And that's a really common thing that depression tells people is these thoughts aren't really, or these these feelings aren't true. I'm just doing it for attention. I'm I'm a burden, whatever, whatever. But does that come from someone having said something like that to them? Yeah, but I think that's where some automatic negative thoughts come from. Right, from our so, core beliefs that were probably put there very early in yes. our life. Yep. And so, I mean, I think it's hard 
to tell ourselves, like, my brain might be lying to us. Because right. then we have this kind of crisis of identity where if my brain's lying to myself, like, like if my brain's lying to me, who, who do can I, I trust? Believe? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It is very scary. But I know that you you do this too, Anna, that a, a lot of times in therapy, I say to my clients things like, you need to tell your brain whatever. Yeah. And it, and it sounds ridiculous when you first say it out loud and some people look at you like you're a little weird. Because mm-hmm. isn't my brain me? Right, but right. Not necessarily. But, but there like, are times our brains that, can be faulty. Exactly. We can have some distorted right. thinking. So so let's go over the let's distortions. Can I say my favorite? Yeah. My favorite is the shoulds. Oh, sure. So, and and I, I, I go back to that a lot the with shoulds, my clients. Yeah, the shoulds, shoulds are one of the things that I pull from CBT quite often. Uh-huh. Like when people are like, well, I should be doing this. I'm like, says who? Right. Who's saying they should do this? And think about, Sipsters, think about your own life and think about how many times you during a day might say, oh, man, I should have in, and I should do this and I shouldn't do that. Or, right. or you feel a certain way and you think, I shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. We, we do that a lot to ourselves, I think, that when we have a certain emotion, we say, I, I should never feel that way. I shouldn't get angry at my mother. I shouldn't get this upset with my husband, right. whatever it right. is. I shouldn't be upset about this. I shouldn't. Right. I shouldn't have done that. I should. I shouldn't right. have any of that. So if you hear that word, whether you're saying it out loud to someone or it's your internal monologue that you're having going on in your brain, if you hear a lot of shoulds going on, realize that that's a cognitive distortion, and that can lead you to certain actions and behaviors that that are not really healthy sometimes. Yeah, should is is one of those words that's like a red flag word for me now. Like mm-hmm. when a client says should, I'm always like, what? Yeah, like. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. What? What? <laughs> Yay, that's one of my Okay. You give me one. Uh my favorite is catastrophizing. Mm, that's so. hard for me to say, that's why I like to be. Catastrophizing is when you expect the worst thing to happen. So catastrophizing is doing the worst case scenario and especially it kind of leads to undervaluing the positive parts of a situation. Often what I do when I have a client who is catastrophizing is I go, okay, fine, that's the worst case scenario. Let's plan for that. So if we plan for literally the worst thing that could happen, then whatever happens, either you're ready for it or you're pleasantly surprised. That's good. Okay. Your turn. Emotional reasoning. And this is like when everything that you do, you... I I'm do sorry. This with, I have to I have to I'm part sorry, the curtain a little bit because mom gave me a list of cognitive distortions that we are we are going through together. Yeah. And she's jumping all over. We're not do going you, uh, in an orderly want- fashion. <laughs> and, and that's bothering your So if your I'm OCD? going to sound stressed, it's because I'm stressed. No. Do you want a marker no, so it's that like you a fun can mark game. the ones No, it's we a did? fun game. Let's yeah, go. you always pull those damn games on me. So now you get to do Okay, it. it's a fun game. That's good. It's fun. It's fun. Okay. We're having fun. We don't have to do all of them no we're having fun the reason i picked that one is because i think i this is one of mine yeah um, that i'm i'm a very feeling person i'm very squishy i'm very emotional i'm passionate well however you want to frame that and so sometimes i lean on that well you know that's the way i feel so it must be real it must be true and some of us are more emotional than others of us and sometimes we rely too much on our emotion and we need to take a step back and take a deep breath and ask ourselves, is this rational thinking or is this, am I getting overly emotional? And I think that's a delicate balance too, because Mm -hmm. I think if we're feeling it, that's real. And I think it's this distinction between real and true. Like, Ooh, that's good. Just because we're Ooh, that's feeling deep, it. Anna. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that if you're feeling it, that's a thing you're really feeling. Mm-hmm. Don't say like, oh, gosh, I'm not feeling this or because I ooh, shouldn't be feeling it or whatever. <laughs> like, here, let's pull in another one. Let's pile four on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 
it okay if you're feeling it that's fine it's okay to feel that you just got to understand why you're feeling it and you have to be able to say like okay just because i'm feeling a certain way about a thing doesn't mean that that's really what's happening or that's what someone meant to make me feel or whatever that's it's there's a lot of i don't know where i'm going with this (laughs) it's a lot it's It's a a lot. lot when there's emotions involved it's always a lot Okay, give me another one. Uh, polarized thinking or all or nothing thinking Ooh, yeah. is is usually what I call that. Where And that's one that's kind of – it's harder to notice than the shoulds. But if you start noticing these things about yourself, you'll notice mm-hmm. using these quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And all or nothing I think is a common, a common one where he always oh, does yes, this. Oh, yes, yes. To me. My wife never does the dishes. Right. Like, well, that's probably not true. Probably at least once. She did. <laughs> at least. And that's that's what I used to challenge it is like, or like my parents never listened to me. Give me one example of when they did. And usually they can pull up one example. So then it's, even if it's like, well, that's just one time. Like, okay, that means it's not never. Like it's, it's usually not never. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Your turn. Overgeneralization is, is another, another one that I, one. I always really notice. And it kind of goes... It's kind of like the polarized thinking in that it's that always or never thing. Yeah. Uh, but with the overgeneralization, it's like, you know, everybody in this group of people, you know, will act this way. Or every time I go to the store, well, I... Well, it can kind of be emotional reasoning, too. Because you can kind of assume that if you're feeling it, then other people have right. to be feeling it, too. I've noticed that they kind of... Some they of them kind of overlap, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, I mean, a lot of them are about assuming. Right. A lot of them go to, because there's like, I'll I'll just throw out a few of them, like that there's go a fallacy it. of fairness, which assumes that life is fair, which mm-hmm. we know it's not, unfortunately. Right. Uh, there's a control fallacy, which assumes that either, it either assumes that only others are to blame or only yourself is to blame. Mm-hmm. There's actually blaming, which assumes that everyone else is at fault, which kind of goes under control fallacies too. So a lot of these are just assuming things about the world that are dysfunctional dysfunctional assumptions we did it (laughs) very good dysfunctional right now one that a lot of people in our world are dealing with is the one that's that they call jumping to conclusions which is making assumptions based on just a little bit of evidence we don't really know what the facts are and that can be a cognitive distortion because we can you know think that we really understand what's going on and we don't have the facts and we don't know what's going on so Right. What else? What did we miss? Um, there are a few. Uh, I mean, there's so there's filtering, which um, focuses on the negative and ignores the positive, which is kind of leads into catastrophizing, I think, a little bit. I think it could also be the opposite, though. Like yeah. people who look at like things rose through rose-colored glasses. glasses. Because I've known people like that, that, that sometimes you have to say to them, we need to take a step back and look at this realistically. Yes. Because there are times in our life. I mean, it's wonderful to be a positive person. And and if I can throw my late husband under the bus for a minute, he was a very positive person. But sometimes when you're overly positive, because what happened with him was that he would sometimes not take the best care of himself physically because he would ignore, you know, he would be thinking positively, quote, end of quote, and therefore be ignoring what he should be doing to right. take care of his body. And right. so that sometimes, especially when it comes to health, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual, emotional, whatever kind of health, there are sometimes that you have to look at the problem, look at a situation realistically, because you have to do something to take care of it. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's difficult. But and sometimes we don't want to do it. Right. Exactly. But being realistic is is important. Yeah. 
This one I see a lot in like couples and family counseling, the fallacy of change. It's when you expect others to change. Ooh. So I, I see that a lot. It's either like parents expecting that their kids should be the one to do all the changing, uh, people expecting that their spouses should be the one to do all the changing, and not recognizing that in yourself that things need to change. Mm-hmm. And so just a couple others that are kind of two sides of the coin. One is is the fallacy, the distortion that you're always right. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain personality types that would engage in that specific behavior. I think um, that goes with the control fallacy too, though. I agree. But then I kind of think of the opposite as being the personalization where you always think that you're responsible. Well, I guess that could even go along with it instead of being the other side. Because it could be, you know, I'm responsible for everything good and bad. You know, basically the world revolves around me. Right. Which, I mean, like, makes it seem like, oh, I'm selfish because I had these cognitive distortions. But no, the, the point of this therapy is to recognize that we have that and then change it. Right. And if you're willing to do that, that's that's good. So I think we covered those distortions, baby. If you're interested in the distortions, maybe we could do an episode on the distortions and also the defense mechanisms. Ooh, those are kind of, yeah, that'd be good. Okay. That'd be good. That'd be good. Future Future episode marked. Should we take a quick break? Let's do that. Maybe listen to a quick promo and then we'll be right back to talk about more CBT things. Hey everybody, this is Dino with her podcast. And Michelle. <laughs> I almost cut you off. That's okay. We just want to let you know that you can find us at gangalley.com. Like a gang in an alley. Gangalley.com. We're on iHeartRadio, Podbean, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Double Pod, Apple. And we have a YouTube channel for supplementary material. But what do we normally talk about? Oh, gosh. Everything, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, we touch on whatever is whatever poignant the- that week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we wrap it into movies, TV, pop culture, whoever's ticking us off. <laughs> ticking me off. <laughs> <laughs> Social media toxicity. But we always have one important message. The most important message. Be decent to each other. So check us out. Our podcast. (laughs) Hello, welcome back. We hope I put in a promo. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Cool. Um, We are talking about CBT. C-B-T-A-B-C. No, no, no uh, we're not talking about ABC this time. That's a we might talk episode, about maybe. that on another episode. Uh, so uh, over the break, we realized that we probably should have started by talking about the history of CBT, but that's okay. We'll just do it now. We're just gonna do it now. We're just gonna do it because we can do whatever it's we want. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> we, You're we not meant the boss to do of this us. the whole time. It was uh, planned. It was planned. I promise. <laughs> we're switching things up. So briefly, there's a lot, and I'm going to throw out a lot of names. Uh, this is one of those times where I wish we would have talked about more theorists beforehand, so I could just be like, and if you want to hear more about them, listen to mm-hmm. this episode. I'll do that whenever I can, whenever we have talked about someone, but 
a lot of people. So we need to keep this. this list so we can do the episodes on these people. We do. Okay. So the origins of cognitive behavioral therapy can be found way back, actually, in ancient philosophy, especially something called Stoicism. So Stoic philosophers, especially, I'm not making this up, Epictetus. <laughs> Are you sure it's not Epictetus? Epictetus. 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 <laughs> It might be Epictetus. God bless you. So Epictetus thought that logic could be used to recognize and change false beliefs that led to destructive emotions. Mm. Very CBT. Another philosopher who influenced CBT was John Stuart Mill, who sounds familiar to me. I know he's a philosopher. Uh, When I researched him, he's a naturalist, a utilitarian. I'm not super sure how he fits into CBT, but he was listed as a very influential figure in CBT. He did stuff. He did things. Just take our word for it. He, he did, did stuff, stuff and things. That was important Why for would you think he didn't? Yes. So then in more modern times, to find the roots of CBT, we need to basically break it down into its component parts by looking at behavioral therapy and cognitive therapy and how they came together. Like... When two therapies love each other very much. (laughs) You got your cognitive therapy and my behavioral therapy. Exactly. (laughs) So there's three waves of CBT. The first wave. Thank you for the Foley work. The first wave is behavioral therapy, basically. And it's Mm kind of, it basically goes chronologically. Behavioral therapy really began in the 1920s with John Watson and Rosalie Rayner who studied conditioning. So we know conditioning is very behavioral. Conditioning is conditioning someone to do something. Right. Um, from here, behavioral therapy began only a few years later. So using this conditioning research to put it into a therapy practice, especially with the work of a woman named Mary Cover Jones in Unlearning Fears in Children. Around the 1950s and 60s, behavioral therapy became more widely used based on the findings of Ivan Pavlov. <gasps> We've talked about him. We did in episode nine, if you want to hear more about Pavlov. and But that's a scary one, so buckle your seatbelts. It's a tough one. And also John Watson and Clark Hull. And a man named Joseph Wolp. W-O-L-P-E? Wolp. Wolp. Wolpy? I don't know how you say it. He was focused on the process of systematic desensitization, uh, which is where you... Slowly. Yeah. Desensitize. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Defining exactly something it by its words. <laughs> by its words. <laughs> Defining something by its words. Yeah. He applied behavioral research to the treatment of neurotic disorders. Uh-huh. So even... Way back then, it's been used to treat neuroses and anxiety, basically. Around the same time, B.F. Skinner, who, if you've done any, if you've taken a Psychology 101 class, you know B.F. Skinner. He did operant conditioning, and this was called radical behaviorism, and it avoided anything related to cognition. It was just strictly behavioral-based. Yep. Uh, It wasn't until almost the 70s when Julian Rotter and Albert Bandura introduced social learning theory. We talked about Bandura, Bandura, didn't we? yep. I don't know which episode that was in. Didn't we talk about Skinner too? Not yet. We, we need should. To do one on <laughs> we just don't like behave. We just don't like behavioral stuff. We just don't like it. I know it. it's boring. It's boring. boring. We don't like it. When Albert Bandura introduced social learning theory to demonstrate how cognition can be used with behavior modification, so this led into the second wave. Thank you. <laughs> I almost missed my cue. I know. You were zoning a little. <laughs> I was thinking about how during the episodes, I always notice how good your nails look. 
I swear every episode Thanks. I tell you your nails are fabulous. You and know they the are secret? Again. It's because we record on like Thursdays and Fridays, Thursdays or and Fridays, right and I after. always do it like on Wednesdays. Oh, they look fabulous. So it always is very fresh. Okay, well, I was distracted by your nails and I almost missed my sound <laughs> cue. Fully so second wave. <laughs> So the second wave, if the first wave was an emphasis on behaviorism, the second wave is an emphasis on cognition. Of course. So this mainly started with Alfred Adler, who we talked about in episode Adler. 14. Our boy, <laughs> Alfred Adler. A different kind of AA. <laughs> and... <laughs> That's a good one, uh, Thank Anna. you. <laughs> I want you to know I get your jokes, thanks, Anna. I thanks, get you. Thanks, I get That's very you. validating for me. <laughs> and his idea on how, quote-unquote, basic mistakes can lead to developing unhealthy or useless behaviors or life goals. Um, And this influenced Albert Ellis, who created the earliest cognitive therapy, REBT, uh, which we mentioned before, which is Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. But we need to do a whole episode on that. We do. Around this time also, Aaron Beck was doing free association in his psychoanalysis practice. Beck, Beck, Beck. Beck, Beck, Beck. And he basically concluded that thoughts were not as unconscious as Freud previously assumed. And so certain types of thinking led to emotional distress, and he was the one that called these automatic thoughts. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, automatic still sounds kind of unconscious, my guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a very fine line there. Well, I, that's because he's the one who kind of titled the idea of core be- core beliefs, yeah. which are kind of subconscious too. Yeah, it's I mean, built into you. Built into your I mean, we we they become less unconscious by therapy because like, you think about them yeah. purposefully. But but before that, they were unconscious. Yeah, it's like he sat people down and made people think about these distressing things, and then it's like, oh, well, that doesn't seem unconscious. Well, yeah, Aaron, <laughs> you, just, you scratch, you, the, scratch you, the way to the surface. You opened the wound, dude. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, here's the, uh, we have to have a father of every therapy type. Aaron Beck is called the father of cognitive uh-huh. behavior therapy. Uh-huh. So, uh, Beck, so, Beck, Beck. So with this, you kind of merged the two, and that led into the third wave. <laughs> when That's they, a big one. They united. They became united. It's the wedding song. Was it? It's like, you know, at the end of- <laughs> Uh, da, da. Yeah, oh, a, yeah, the old days. It sounded kind of circus. <laughs> oh, well, weddings kind of. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> well hmm, hmm, let's think about that for a moment. <laughs> Such a hetero thing to say. <laughs> um, no, they are. <laughs> weddings are terrible. Or so, they can be wonderful. But there are a lot of times both. like a circus. They can be both. So even though behavioral approaches helped with uh, neuroses, it was found to be pretty much useless with depression. Because depression's not really behavioral in nature. Uh, so this led to behaviorism fading a little bit and people kind of more accepting the ideas of Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck, even though early behaviorists have been adamant about rejecting mentalist concepts and cognitive concepts. Hmm. So then both these approaches focused on problems in the present. Problems. Get the <laughs> excuse me excuse me we're having an attack ah, on the back line ah, two of them okay don't sorry a cat was uh, attacking i hope my... you edit that out <laughs> i used to not i don't know where i was sorry i was zoning <laughs> i don't know where you were either uh history <laughs> history 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 <laughs> No, that's not really I true. I did so <laughs> much work that's on this. That's not really this. true. That's not really true. You were doing great. Thanks. You were doing great. 
So you were talking about back and there you go. Okay, before cognitive things have basically been rejected entirely. But both these approaches, both behavioral and cognitive, focused on problems in the present. I mean, they they really were present focused. Um, and initially, cognitive and behavior therapies were kind of pitted against each other to figure out which was more effective. And then in the 1980s and 90s, they be, people basically began to say, okay, they're both helpful in their own way. Mm-hmm. Let's try using theories from them both together. of them. Exactly. Let's put your cognitive into my behavioral. Exactly. Yeah. Duh. Theories from both and techniques from both are going to be useful. Are you I'm, just I'm watching, making sure the cat doesn't pounce on you. Thanks. She's getting higher ground <laughs> behind you. She's like, dun-dun, 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 dun-dun. If I hear the Jaws music. That's Can fun. I throw something in there about that? Because yeah. I think that's significant that as humanists, we do, in talk therapy, we do talk about the past. We talk about, yeah. you know, what happened when you were a kid, what, what happened in your family of origin, blah, blah, blah. And you might read or hear that CBT is very focused on on what's happening right now, on the present, on the here and now. Sure. However, they do have to delve into the past well, a bit if you're to going get to, to be those talking core to the beliefs. Core, yeah, if you're yeah. going to be talking about how those developed, right. it's not going to be helpful to just be like, okay, that's the thought. It could stop doing it. Right. Because you have to understand where it came from to understand that it's not just your brain coming out of nowhere. Right. It's It's things that you were exposed to throughout your life that formed this thought. That's right. That's right. And really, I mean, kind of the last note in the history is that over time, the term cognitive behavior therapy became just sort of an umbrella term for all cognitive-based psychotherapy, um, which also use behavior. And there's a lot of those. So REBT, like we've mentioned, there is something just called cognitive therapy. There's something called acceptance and commitment therapy, dialectic behavior therapy we mentioned, reality therapy, cognitive processing therapy, EMDR, multimodal therapy. There's so many. There's so many. That's and, the, and that's what I was referring to before when I said CBT is part of all of that. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like branched a, into It's a like lot. the seed of a lot yes. of different things can we talk about what cbt is good for please do and it's a wide range it is it is it really is i think this is one of the reasons that a lot of people come in and say hey do you do cbt because they look up how to treat depression or how to treat this and cbt pops up right and that is true that it's good for a lot of stuff. It's good for things from everyday problems. So with or without an actual diagnosis, CBT can be helpful to learn to cope with stress, learn to cope with anxiety, even without like an anxiety disorder. Right. It can also be good for learning to manage really powerful emotions like anger or fear or sadness, dealing with grief, coping with physical health problems, just doing conflict resolution, communication skills, assertiveness training, And that is a thing that I think we need to mention that you don't need to have like a huge diagnosis to seek therapy. Absolutely. It's okay to seek therapy if you're just struggling with life problems. Yeah, that's exactly right. But that being said, a lot of diagnoses or conditions are also helped by either just CBT or uh, with other therapies or with medications. Mm -hmm. And that could be things like addiction, anxiety, bipolar disorder, chronic pain, depression, eating disorder, OCD, phobias, PTSD, schizophrenia, sleep disorders, tinnitus? Tinnitus. Isn't that when your ears ring? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How in the hell? I looked it up because I said the same thing. I was like, what? Is that when your ears ring? It's mostly about like being 
not calm. focusing on yeah yeah like it's not about freaking out because understanding that you have yeah. tinnitus and like right. being accepting of that and and that goes back to though the fact that it could you could stretch it to anything because the point is that the way we react to the way we're feeling about this thought so like if something happened like your boss yells at you and your immediate negative thought is you know he hates me because everybody hates me and you start to go I down can't that do anything path right i'm yeah and, and so, yeah, you don't have major anxiety or depression, perhaps, but it just really gets to you that your boss yells at you. Right. And so in that moment, you can use CBT to help yourself cope with that situation and to stop the negative thoughts right. that come from that. Can we talk a little bit about, so let's say you go into a therapist and they are a CBT therapist or they're just using CBT ideas. What are some of the techniques you may see? I was hoping you would ask. Oh, <laughs> uh, mom's been awaiting. Well, the one that, you know, we've we've referred to a couple of times and you'll always hear about, it's kind of like, kind of become like, a, what am I trying to say? Like you see it in movies and stuff about breathing techniques oh, yeah. and about using uh, different kinds of breathing techniques to calm yourself down. It helps us to calm down and to focus. We've talked about on past episodes about the vagus nerve and how it actually affects us physiologically when we breathe deeply. But used as a CBT um, technique is the idea of refocusing, of taking, you know, taking our thoughts, uh, stopping those negative thoughts. So it's part of thought stopping. Mm -hmm. That, in my opinion, is the overarching technique of cbt is thought stopping yeah and there are different ways to go about that yeah it's basically (laughs) that these techniques are a subset of how we identify and stop the thoughts right so very like rubber to the road you said if if a client comes in say a client comes into my office and says you know i do cbt on me (laughs) yeah do do me a cbt do me a cbt they say (laughs) like like (laughs) let's say they have a negative thing about uh, an eating issue and they Whenever I eat something, I immediately feel really fat and I think I'm a bad person because I'm fat. And and we talk about how those negative thoughts spiral. And so I say to them, you know, right as soon as you start in down that path of negative thought, physically stop what you're doing and take a deep breath and focus on your breathing. And I say to my clients, say to your brain, this is a negative, irrational thought. Right. And I'm stopping it right now. Right. And some CBT therapists might say to imagine something, to picture something in your brain, like a stop sign. I've used that with kids. I've used that a lot. We even sometimes color a stop sign and then put it somewhere. And so then you stop the negative thought, but you use the breathing technique to kind of get you going on that. I used that on a kiddo one time. It was like 15, 15 or 16, and it was cute because. During another session, she brought her brother in and they were talking about how to stop something he was doing. And she goes, imagine Anna holding a stop sign. That's what I do. Oh, that's good. (laughs) That's really good. I like that a lot. So that's just one of the techniques like that you physically actually do when you're having the negative thoughts. You breathe, you stop your thought. Um, I, I often tell my clients that it's helpful then to replace that negative thought with something positive. Well, and that's also reframing, Mm -hmm. which is a huge part of CBT, where it's just what it sounds like. We reframe the negative thought as something more positive. And again, it has to be something that we will be able to believe. We'll be able to get behind it. You might also hear the word restructuring. Yeah. Sometimes they call it. Yeah. That's the same thing that Anna's talking about. So like, in that example, if it's like, oh, I, I shouldn't have eaten that, then if we're restructuring it, it could be like, I need food 
to function and there is more to me than how I look or what I weigh. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. very basic rebuilding those core ideas from the ground up. Right. Kind of along that same line would be something they call unraveling cognitive distortions. And that's basically what we've already talked about. And you literally talk about those negative thoughts with your therapist. You kind of have to do that one before you, the ones we just mentioned. Yes, absolutely. I agree. That it's the idea of that old thing that that is kind of a, a layman's way of saying what we do in therapy when we say name it claim it tame it <laughs> yeah i've i've used that with clients and and some clients really like that idea well the naming it is like the cognitive distortions that we said before right so it's helpful to be like whoa you're catastrophizing right now or exactly. whoa that's all or nothing thinking right that's one of the things that we use that talk therapy for right okay what else Practical things like journaling. Journaling is a big one. Yeah, writing things down. Um, keeping keeping track of identifying your thought patterns. So like, right. like if you're having a really bad day, to, to think about what am I? What are my thoughts today? What what does my brain keep going back to today? Yeah, and journaling, either journaling or like making a list or however you're journaling, just writing things down is a really good way to externalize those thoughts. Because like I said earlier, if it's just a thing that's playing in our brain, it seems so normal to us that it's hard to challenge it. But if we write it down and look at it, it's kind of like what you do in therapy where like if you say something out loud and then you're like, oh, (laughs) I realize how that sounds. Right, right. So it's kind of the same. Journaling is how to do that by yourself. You write Mm -hmm. something down and then you're like, Oh, yeah, that that doesn't make any sense. Now that I see it in writing, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) One of the other ones is called exposure and response prevention. And we kind of touched on that. And actually, that exposure therapy is part of, is it REBT? I can't remember which one is the one that's really into that. But I don't know. But for our purposes, it would be, the idea is you purposefully expose yourself to what it is that freaks you out, yeah. what it is that causes the negative, and then you start to be able to control that. I was thinking the response prevention thing, I was thinking about one of my clients that I had a couple years ago who had panic uh, episodes, panic attacks, and one of the ways that we would do response prevention was we would talk through a scenario, like she was going to go to a dance, and she knew that when she went to a dance that she would get into the gym where it was crowded and hot and people everywhere, and she would get panicked. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about what causes that, you know, when does it happen, when do you know it's starting to happen to you. And then we would talk about, okay, what's your plan? What are you going to do? You're going to get out this way. You're going to get out that way. So we would plan ahead to when she started to have those negative thoughts, like I'm trapped, I can't get out, that she would have a plan to get out of there or yes. to step back from the situation. So, and it's just about feeling more in control. Right. But we t- in order to get there, we had to like talk through the situation and she would sit on my couch and get, you know, she'd start to breathe, you know, I'd say now think about how it's going to be like when you go right. down into that gym, which is and- kind of almost role playing. It is. It is. Or kind of almost guided meditation or guided it something. Is, isn't that weird how they're all kind of, they, they overlap. They kind of mesh. Yeah. 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 But role playing is a big one as well, which mm-hmm. is just what it sounds like. It's it's sitting there and literally like act out a situation. Mm-hmm. And that can be really good for like social skills and, and communication skills and problem solving and stuff. But it can also be good to practice those things that we are really anxious about and that we don't want to do because right. then it's in a controlled environment and it feels more amazing manageable. 
One of the other ones on my list is play the script until the end. Yeah, and that's, that's the cool. thing. What that is you, that? That's what you did. That's what you talked about before. That what? you say to the person, "What's the worst thing that could happen?" Okay, well, let's talk about what will happen if that's you know. Okay. So you actually talk through their really negative thought, and you say, "Well, what if that actually happens? What would you you know?" Yeah. What if? And that this kind of leads into one that I have used before. This is <laughs> as I was looking up lists of like techniques and stuff. Yeah. I, I keep looking at them and being like, "Oh, I do that. I, do, I, just, I just didn't, didn't know, know what it was called." <laughs> yeah and and you blend them too yeah absolutely. you say well i use that one and that one together yeah it's hard because i think most people look at this as like oh we are going to do role playing and then we are going to do a breathing exercise and then we are going to do this it's like that's not it they, we use them all and usually more than one at a time because when we're role playing if someone's freaking out we're gonna go into some breathing exactly to manage it right then right um but this one's called successive approximation which is a cool name it sounds like some kind of spy thing it does, doesn't it? It's basically taking tasks that seem too big and breaking them into smaller steps. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, and I, I actually did this just a, just recently with someone who is having a lot of trouble with social anxiety, basically, because they, they feel like once they get into a social situation, it's fine, but when they're going there, it seems overwhelming and they don't know what's expected of them. So I'm like, okay, when you get there, focus on the next five minutes. Like, okay, in the next five minutes, what are we going to do? We're going to check in. I know it's expected of me when we check in. Okay, in the next five minutes after that, what do we do? Oh, we'll, we'll probably mingle for a little while. Okay, cool. We'll do that. So mm-hmm. it's very much like breaking it into steps that I know what's expected of me then. And then once you get through, you know, 25 minute intervals, you're done. <laughs> That's it's a great okay. idea. Okay. What else? There's, I mean, there's a lot. And I think there that, are a lot, lots and lots. But the, I think those are kind of more the more common ones. Yeah, and the, are, and the heart of the idea is to give you coping skills. Yes, like we said, it's 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 for when you get out there outside of therapy, so that when you're on your own and you start to have those negative thoughts, or you start to feel panicked because of the thoughts, or whatever, you feel depressed because of the thoughts. You have your own toolbox that you can go to and do those techniques that you've practiced with your therapist. Yes, and and that's that is something I say to to people a lot too. That not only in therapy, but I'll give them. Um, I have a list of like grounding techniques, um, yeah. which are really good for like panic attacks and anxiety, but it can also just be good for if you're overthinking and need to stop stuff like it's just ways to center yourself right right. and i tell them okay pick one and the list that i have i really like because it's broken into like physical grounding emotional grounding mental grounding and there's like a couple more but i say like pick at least one from like three different categories because you don't know what's going to work best for you and then practice them And I tell them, like, it's going to feel weird to Mm -hmm. practice these when Mm -hmm. you're not panicking. But if you don't practice them before you're panicking, when you're panicking, you're not going to be able to do it. That's not a good time to do it for the first time. That's exactly right. So that's kind of what these techniques are doing as well. Like the role play and stuff, it's to get you in that mindset in a more controlled place. So then when you're in the actual situation, it doesn't feel like, oh, God, I'm doing something for the first time ever. That's right. That's kind of like when sometimes I, when I do, I said that earlier, when I say to one of my clients, talk to your brain. Yeah. You know, sometimes they look at you and and I say to them, this sounds really corny, but try (laughs) to do it. But self-talk, that's kind of a term that we've really built up. (laughs) Yeah, used in culture a lot, in our culture a lot. But self-talk is is part of CBT and that we can talk to ourselves about that we can literally say to ourselves, that is a negative cognition yeah. or that is an irrational thought or, oh my gosh, I'm catastrophizing. That's an ant. I spotted an ant. There you go. 
whatever whatever works for what you say to your brain that's the whole point of it is that you do have and this goes back to what we always talk about as humanistic existentialists that you have control of that you are in control even though you feel out of control sometimes we want you to feel that reality which is you are in control right you can stop your thoughts and you can learn it takes practice yes i think a lot of people get really freaked out because they're like no i can't they just happen right right but no you you practice it you can practice how you react to those thoughts because you don't let them spiral down so far and yeah i saw i saw this thing one time that was like the first thought you have is the one you were trained to have and then the second thought that you have is the one that you're trying like you're aspiring to have you choose yeah so like if you see someone if you were raised in like a racist household or something and you see someone of a different race and you have an automatic thought that's a negative thought about that race Mm -hmm. and you go oh god i'm a racist Uh (laughs) but that oh god i'm a racist thought is really who you are right because you're fighting back against that negative you thought want, and you're yeah. going no 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 that that's that's a faulty assumption right that, that's a negative a core belief that yeah. was that was built into you exactly. at some point yeah and and you're working to change it yep so self-awareness control these things sound awfully <gasps> humanistic <laughs> they do awfully existential they? they do so how do we wrap this up mom I think that I would wrap it up by saying CBT is is so woven into all kinds, all theories. It's so all big. therapies. Yeah. It's, it's a there's lot. There's bits and pieces that fit into every, no matter when you go to a therapist, whatever they believe their theory is, they're probably going to be doing at least a little bit of something that looks like right. CBT. Like if you're listening to this and you are actively in therapy or if mm-hmm. you've been in therapy in the past, even if you didn't go to a CBT therapist, you're probably going to note like journaling is huge. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. role playing, you might have done some of and that breathing somewhere. Breathing techniques. Oh yeah, re- relaxation stuff. Stopping all that stuff. Yeah, is... you're probably going to be like, oh well, my therapist does that, or they did that, and they're not a CBT therapist. Well, it's right. just because these techniques are are very common in any type of therapy. Right, right. But they're wonderful. Oh yeah, and we use them. We we give them. We a use big them because they up. work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Will you thank the listeners? May I? Please May do. I thank the listeners. Listeners. <laughs> Thank you so much. That means you. (laughs) You are part of my positive thoughts. My positive cognition is about our wonderful listeners. How's that? That's How's good. that? I like that. No, we really do appreciate that you take time to listen. We really appreciate it when you take time to send us an email oh, like our, we love our, that. our lovely sipsters have done for our us. Our hearts. Yes. Our hearts um, are bursting. Give us a review. Just take a moment to do that. It really helps us to continue to do our best job. <laughs> it motivates us to it keep going, honestly. <laughs> it helps so. us reframe this much work and much research and much editing that we do. But we love being with you. So thank you for being with us. And we'll see you at the next time. And see you in the next episode. Yes, thank you so much for being here. As always, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on all of those things, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. If you want to get a hold of us directly, if you want to send us a nice email just about, hey, we listen and we love it. That's cool. That makes us almost cry every single time. Um, it does. We are we're Freudian. <laughs> we're Freudian Sips Pod at gmail.com if you want to do that. We're on Patreon if you want to support the show. We're Freudian Sips Pod on there as well. And as always, please remember to leave us a nice rating interview if you can do that wherever you're listening Apple Podcast, Podchaser, all of those great places. 
and check out our merch. merch. If you go to freudianzipspod.com, we haven't plugged our merch in a while. So go check out our merch. We have some fun shirts and stickers and mugs. Fall is just around the corner and the hoodies Ooh, are to die for. Good hoodies. Go get a hoodie. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.